especially with the way tech is being pushed and consumer tech and the various platforms and, and everything being served to us on demand as we think we need. It's taking away our ability to just be bored. And boredom breeds thoughts and thoughts breed creativity and creativity changes the world. And if we are not allowing ourselves to be bored, if our kids don't embrace having nothing to do, there's never nothing to do. I, I do fear what that means. It's funny, you know, my, my now 10-year-old, when he was like four or five, would say to me, you know, in his perfect little voice at the time, gee, daddy, the days go by so quickly. I was like floored by that thought. I was actually a little heartbroken by that. Like, how can you be five years old, six years old, and feel that time is going by so quickly mm-hmm. at your age? This is the Conscious Economics Podcast, and I'm your host, Rhiannon Roseland. This is the place where we explore people, planet, profit, and art through the lens of the new economy. If you're interested in changing yourself, getting more creative, or changing the system at large, then this is the podcast for you. Tune in every other week as we explore these topics with amazing guests. We'll go deep, we'll go heart-centered and soul-felt as we go into how we change ourselves and change the world. What's up, everybody? We are back in the house. I'm Rhiannon Roseland, your host of the Conscious Economics Podcast. And man, do we have an amazing episode for you today. I'm so honored that we got to chat. And when I say we, I feel like that's weird because it's me. Um, But I got to chat with one of the most outstanding people I know. Um, I'm really lucky to call Byron Wong a friend, but I want to give you a little bit of a background as to who he is and what he's done with his career. So Byron Kent Wong, born in Vancouver, based out of Toronto and back and forth between here and Vancouver and Los Angeles. He is a producer, a musician, a director, an entrepreneur. He founded Random Media Corps in the 90s. It was a Canadian company dedicated to music, design, marketing, and new media. Um, So that was one of his first big accomplishments, but a lot of people will remember him or know him. He hosted and co-produced The New Music. The New Music was a show that was part of the Much Music kind of suite of shows, and it was one of the longest-running music journalism TV programs in the world and pioneered both in-depth and irreverent interviews and presentations of music, culture, celebrity, and technology. Um, In 1999, he co-founded Blue Spark with another entrepreneur, Kevin Bardis. Blue Spark became one of Canada's premier web and e-commerce development companies. Um, And in 2004, it was acquired by Onyx Enterprise Solutions. 2011 saw the launch of his company that he's currently running, which is 011 Zero, a company dedicated to the convergence of motion media, new media, music, artist development, publishing, and creative strategy. So recent projects and clients include the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Nuit Blanche, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, to name a few. He also serves as the managing director for Invoid Art Tech Limited. Um, So this is a really unbelievable organization developed to create interactive processes and technology controls for projects. And they've worked with Nike, they've worked with Google, Under Armour. 
back in the day with Kanye West before he went sideways. Um, and they've just done a lot of stuff. And then Byron has also been a prolific music and TV media producer. He's worked with The Crystal Method, The Arrhythmics, David Usher, Delirium, David Bowie, Beck, Ben Harper. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. There's literally too many to mention. The Sheepdog, City in Color, Yukon Blonde, Kendrick Lamar, Our Lady Peace. It just is on and on. He was nominated for a Genie for his work scoring Lie With Me. He was also co-nominated for another Genie for Best Original Song for the film Poor Boy's Game. He's done so many incredible things, made unbelievable films. Byron and I got the opportunity to work together on a number of projects, but he was uh, instrumental in a project that we did a few years ago called the North Meet South Exchange Project. And we were working with Inuit youth and and non-Indigenous youth and actually living on the land up in Nunavut. And his whole crew came up to capture that project. And he and I originally met because we lived in the same condo downtown Toronto. And for anyone who knows Byron and is about to listen to this episode, then you'll know that, you know, if you if you live in a in a condo with Byron, you're going to know him because he speaks to everybody. He's so loving. Um, he's so generous with his time, his energy. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. We really go deep into what is the conscious economy. We talk about technology. We talk about art. We talk about business. We talk about currency. And it's just such an unbelievable pleasure to pick his brain because it works in such a different way, um, I find, than so many people. And he truly is a new economy leader, someone who is playing and blurring and blending the lines all of the time and and just really creating from his heart space. So without any further ado, um, I hope you enjoy this episode with the talented and incredible new economy leader, Byron Wong. Hi, Byron. How are you? I'm good, Rihanna. How are you doing? I'm so good. And I'm so grateful to you for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you. And selfishly, I have all these questions that I've always really wanted to know. But of course, in our hangs, I can't just start asking you about your deepest, (laughs) you know, wisdoms. So now I can. So this is a great opportunity for me. (laughs) Well, for me too. This is exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about deep wisdom, but oh, I, maybe a bit I, of scattered I experience. There's a lot of deep wisdom there. So let's kind of launch into it. Obviously, the Conscious Economics podcast, we're really talking to what I call new economy leaders. And these are people that represent a new vision in how to work, how to create, and how to really build a more conscious world. And you are 100% a new economy leader. And you always have been before this was even a thought or a term that I was using. You were already there. And one of the things that tells me that when I think about new economy, I think about people who blend in between worlds. So people who are not defined by a particular silo or a category, but actually weave in between. And that is something that you have done your whole career. And of course, you know, listeners just heard all of the incredible things that you've done. But one of the things and one of the places I want to really start is this idea of weaving between all the different facets of 
creative and business and technology, you know, when you kind of describe some of your organizations as weaving between motion picture, new media, music, artist development, publishing, creative strategy, what's the through line there for you? And how have you managed to articulate what it is that you do when you've been a pioneer? Like that's not normal to have someone who's occupying all those spaces as well as you do. So let's start there. Well, I, well, I mean, thank you. I mean, that's when, when you say it that way, it actually <laughs> sounds like there is maybe some sort of threat or kind of plan. And it's very kind of for you to categorize it in, in, in the way you do. I, I think like many people, and I think you're very much one of those people as well, you kind of only can go with what you know. And in many ways, the things that I've had an opportunity to do, or maybe more importantly, the things I've had an opportunity to try, whether I've done them or not, or done them well, maybe that's that's a whole other conversation, but the opportunities to try were really based on maybe a couple of things. One, right place, right time, sure. Playing in a field where there were a lot of other really inspiring characters and mentors that I could share and learn from, absolutely. But maybe the thing, the through line for me, outside of why I've been involved in so many things, is simply just wanting to try. I have this insatiable desire to learn and to share. And I I always have, but I've been lucky enough to kind of use that process of exploration and apply it to a number of things. So it may seem from the outside that I do a, a lot of very different things. I think we're involved in a lot of different projects or projects that may not always seem to be directly overlapping or related. But for me, the process, whether it's with creative strategy or directing or content production or music making or any of those things, it's actually really the same process. It's really about trying to balance the outcome and the impact that you're trying to have with the limitations that you also have. And, and that's something I learned at a really young age. And, and, and so we all have that ability to do so. I've just kind of applied my balance of imbalance to many, many things. It's interesting. And again, I have no space for modesty during this conversation with you because <laughs> I honestly, it's like a- we want the real dirt now because it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, and I just fell into this. But To be quite honest, when people have had a career like yours and continue to operate within this career, I'm going to call it for lack of a better word. And it really is so much more than that because it's a way of being for you. And I recognize Mm -hmm. that. But a lot of the times, if people are thinking strategically in a linear fashion, old economy is one of the terms I'll use, they realize what they're really good at and they stick to that so that they can continue to develop, make a lot of money, you know, grow from that particular place. It's like, hey, I'm really good at a lot of things, but I seem to keep getting opportunities here. So here's where I'll stay. You have not done that whatsoever in such an exquisite and like artistic way that you weave in between these different spaces. And while it may seem like you're taking the long road, what you bring to each of these spaces is now something incredibly unique that cannot be replicated. And so it's showing up in the way you produce, it's showing up in the music, it's showing up in the film, it's showing up in the technology. And it's wild to witness 
And so again, there's got to be something that's within you. And, and maybe you can think back, you know, where did this seed get planted? Did you watch your, your parents really weave in between things? Like you have not taken a traditional approach to anything. And there's a traditional playbook to all of the things that you do, but you somehow have not adhered to those rules and it, it creates a brilliance. Like, have you thought about this a little bit? Well, again, I, you know, I, I, I think you were being incredibly kind and sorry, uh, my friend, Billy just walked in. Billy is the office foster dog. Right now. Hi, Hi Billy. Billy. I heard Byron's um, fallen in love with you. <laughs> I, I absolutely have. I, I am, I am actually really quite allergic to pets and I, I am willing to put all the allergy medication in me possible to have a relationship with Billy. He's truly wonderful. You know, you, you bring up something that, that is, that I think is really important. And, and, and it's like, what is, what is that influence? You know, you mentioned my parents and what is that influence that you get as a child? And I've been really, really fortunate. You know, my, my parents are both in their own minds. I think they think of themselves as not being particularly creative, but they were both teachers. And because of the teaching that they did, and maybe more importantly, the communities that they served, I saw very directly what an actual genuine engagement and not, if you take away some of the power dynamic of what is a teacher and what is a student, but what is, what can two people learn, share, grow from? That was an early lesson from, from my parents. And I, th- I think I took a very different path than maybe they had originally anticipated or perhaps any parent would want for their child because there was a lack of stability. But there was a lack of stability at a very y- young age for me. And, and because of where I grew up and how I grew up, there were a fair amount of hurdles. And, I've, you know, one of those hurdles, which which I've really come to terms with, but I think has ultimately benefited me was, you know, I was one of the few visible minorities in a small town in BC where I grew up. And and so consequently, the, the struggles I had with other kids physical ones and mental ones. It really became part of who I was. It sort of helped define me. And at a time when I think I could have gotten very, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong, I wasn't happy about it, but when I could have gotten really angry about it, like 11, 12, 13 years old, having been through that for like five, six, seven years at that point, I discovered on TV on a Sunday night, people break dancing. And I, I, I mentioned this because I didn't know what I was seeing, but for the first time, I saw people that kind of looked like me. They were people of color. They were generally, at the time, young men, but they were like Latino or black, and one was part Asian. And I was, and they they were moving, and they were strong, but it was artistic, and there was this, it just everything. And I mentioned that because that not only got me into dancing and learning to move and maybe getting stronger and trusting myself more physically, but it gave me the mentality around what really at the time was called the B-Boy movement, which of course became hip hop and hip hop is now turned into much more of a music genre, but traditionally hip hop and and B-Boy and B-Girl culture was really about taking what you had, what you could bring to a situation and sampling from others in a very Warhol-like art, music. So it could be Blondie, it could be Queen, it could be ACDC, it could be electro music, it could be disco. Mm. If you're talking about music, it could be dance, it could be Bruce Lee, and it could be capoeira and graffiti and art and design and turning this into something that was truly yours. You were sampling from the best of things and 
turning into something that you could represent yourself through. And, and I'm not sure if other B-boys and B-girls would categorize it that way, but that's what it was for me. And, and so breakdancing and, and, and B-boying changed my life and very much put me on the path to where I knew if I could just be in situations where I could sample conversation, ideas, mm. inspiration, joy, at times hurt, all humanity, that I might be able to take some of that and turn it into something that was meaningful, not just for me, but maybe in some small way for other people as well. That's been the process. Ooh, that's the answer. That was the answer <laughs> that I was, you know, didn't know that I was looking for, but that's absolutely exactly it. And wow, to to hear it articulated in such a way and to really understand that your earliest influence in finding yourself was in this, you know, crashing of all of these different influences and music and and culture. And that's exactly what you've done with your career. And there's not many people that I know that have had, you know, their own successful music career, being a journalist, being a producer, you know, creating new technologies, being an unbelievable entrepreneur and starting organizations and selling organizations. And like, it's just, that is absolutely it. And what's interesting to me, and this really leads me into my next question, Somehow the childlike joy that you clearly experienced in being a b-boy and being able to uniquely express yourself in your own eccentric way, you never lost that because you show up in every space I've ever seen you. And it's like you just suck all of this energy in the best way because you are it's like you're seeing everything new for the first time every time you meet someone, every time you enter a space. How does one continue to cultivate that childlike innocence and curiosity and creativity with such a seasoned career? How do you do that? Is that is that something that you are practicing? Is that just who you are? What is that? Wow. I, I, I didn't actually... I don't... I'm not conscious of doing that. I mean, I think every situation is new and I am seeing it for the first time. Even if you're showing up in a studio for the hundredth time, that studio, the people in the studio, the song, the musicians, you're showing up in an event, you show, you know, it is new. You might have similar pieces or similar experiences you think you know, but, and, and you know, that's, I, I appreciate you mentioning that because I had I'd never really thought about that. But in some ways, if, if I'm honest about it, some of that might also be born out of fear. Like, you know, I, I went through a number of situations as a kid where I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not in any way uh, did go through things nearly as, as to the level that some of the people that we've worked with, a number of the people we work with have gone through. It was just, it was just a small microcosm of, you know, of, of racism and bullying back in, that, in those days. But a lot of people went through that. But as an only child and, you know, with two parents dedicated to the work, I felt alone a lot. And so you had to approach every situation with kind of wonderment and, and, and some reverence and respect and maybe some, a healthy dose of fear. And maybe over time, hopefully over time, I hadn't really thought about this, but perhaps I'm still approaching things in that same way, but with a little bit more knowledge of what I can not only take away from that context of a new meeting, a new event, a new situation, but what I can also give to it. Maybe I think prior I didn't not I wasn't in a situation, I didn't have the mindset of where I could 
where I was confident and know what I could add, what I could put forward. And, and maybe over time, and that's the one thing that comes with age is that, you know, I, I might not, you know, I think like a lot of people, I, I have a lot of imposter syndrome around a lot of the things I do, but I'm finally at an age now where I, at least I know I, on some level, I can genuinely add something. To me, it doesn't matter whether that's as a director, producer, whatever sort of name, you know, mm-hmm. kind of there's a notion of leader or hierarchy. I love being able to think that I might be able to be helpful in some small way because it means that, I guess it means that in some way, gosh, I hadn't really thought about this, but maybe that I battled and won a little bit because I think there were many times in my life where I wasn't sure I was going to make it through. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Wow. But thank you. I mean, that's 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 a that's a very kind assessment. I really do love. It's not kind. Engaging Again, with people. There's there's it no is, flattering well, here. No, it's really and honestly, this no, is a no, different. But... <laughs> it's a different interview because you know I really do know you. I've had the privilege of calling you my friend and working alongside you on a number of projects, and it is really something I've always noticed is that you're always playing. Like you're always playing, even when we're in a critical time where we're in a pressure cooker of a situation. I've been in pressure filled situations with you. I've watched you lead, you know, teams of people. I've watched you do so many different things. And every single time you approach with this sense of play, with this sense of like, it's a childlike quality. And even as I watch you with your boys, cause you're a father, you know, you're a different kind of dad. Like you're, you're constantly thinking about like, what fun thing can we set up here so that we can explore? Like even the way you've lived your life and the way you've set up your home life with your amazing wife, you guys just do it different because you make it all fit into this world that you've created. And it's really inspiring. It's really special to see someone who hasn't lost their spark in their heart. And that's, I think, what attracts me so much to working with you and so many others is because in this world, and again, we talk about an economy, we talk about a system that drains people, that leaves us really disenchanted a lot of the times that even those artists and creators, once your craft starts to be sort of used as a source of income, you can get disenchanted and lost. And somehow that hasn't happened to you, even in the projects that you are in that maybe aren't as exciting as some of the others, you approach them all in this way. And so it's just something I've noticed. It it's really interesting and beautiful how you just came to that discovery here. I don't know if that's been a discovery before, but just like the times that you weren't okay and how you've just, it's like you're taking every precious moment as precious as it is. And that to me is conscious economics and you are embodying that. So that's really beautiful. I want to segue over to a classic conundrum, which is, creatives versus business and this idea that it's a separate (laughs) thing. And, you know, there's so many business folks that listen to this, but also artists and creatives. And there has been traditionally this divide where it's like, oh, you're either an artist or you're a creative or you're a business kind of strategy minded, logic minded sort of person. And that there isn't an in-between. And I think there's been a lot of business created around continuing that separation. But once again, you are both it's quite clear in the successful 
entrepreneurial endeavors and things that you've started and companies you've started, but also you are a true artist. So how do you speak to that? And is that a real separation or divide? Or is that something that has been trained and programmed into people? Uh, That's an excellent question. (laughs) Because, you know, I, I think for me, that balance between art and commerce has always been I mean, it's been a real relationship. Like, I, I don't necessarily see things being done because they're artistic or being done because they help from a, a you know, a, a commerce or financial perspective. You know, when you mention economics, I think that's, that's a real key here. And the idea of, of being conscious of economics and what, what economics means, like from a definition perspective. Now, clearly, I, I didn't go to post-secondary in any way to, to be able to define economics, but Economics to me, in terms of wealth, so if economics equals notions of wealth or what have you, wealth to me equals option. And I have been lucky enough to know and had really great lessons in life where I've, I've known people with what would maybe be considered a fair amount of money or wealth, but had so few options around that. And it's a lesson that's come up over and over again. And so for economics for me and the economics of art and commerce or art versus commerce or however we want to depict that, the economics have to mean what is the actual real return? Mm-hmm. And the real return for me and for my team and the various teams I've had over the years to get involved with something, a financial return may or may not be in the top three or five, you know, priorities of, of, of a return. Now, I'm not saying that works for everyone. And it certainly doesn't work, you know, on large, for large businesses and large corporations. But it worked for us because, and it worked for me, because I knew that if I could get into a situation where the return on investment was knowledge or community impact, perhaps a, a, a refining of a process that allowed just more good things to happen, or frankly, it was just an experiment and I got to try. Mm-hmm. That's my maybe the more artistic side of me. That return would always come on that investment. Now, I may not, looking back, have always appreciated the return mm-hmm. that I got on the investment. And you know, because when you're endeavoring to do things in business, when you're endeavoring to do things that are business and creative and artistic, especially with large groups, you can also get into a lot of conflict. It's a very, very intimate process, as you know, yes. making songs, making films, building companies, building these relationships. And you know, and you spend time away from your loved ones and you create new loved ones. These are people who are helping to shape what you're seeing, hearing, how you're going to live. So it becomes very, very close. And not everyone has the same vocabulary. Not everyone has the same language. So the notion of failure and then economics and wealth and option all kind of are in the same bubble. And I guess, you know, I, I, over the last while, I've really had to reconcile what I felt have been some of the things that I've been a part of that have maybe not failed to maybe hit the goals. And maybe more specifically, the times that I've personally within them failed to hit some goals or or to use a process or behave, not behave maybe, but use a process in a way that delivered as well. And what I'm sort of getting at is that if you go into something under the sort of normal notion of maybe of economics of you put in X amount or you invest X amount and X amount should come back and that's how you sustain it. 
That's very reasonable. And, and I very much applaud people who can do that and have that structure. But I've tried to also live a life where depending on where you're trying to have, where you're trying to live in all of this mm-hmm. as an artist, as an entrepreneur, as just, as just a human being, Mm-hmm. that maybe that return can come back in so many different ways. And having a perspective on what that, what that economic process is, I think is really, really important. And that's contributed greatly to the options that we've had. And for me, options equals wealth. Money does not equal wealth. I think Option that that's, and opportunity so, equals wealth. that's so interesting, just the way you've articulated that, because the way you know I define economy or economics is it's just, it's an expression of someone's value system. So it's an expression of a culture's value system. It's an expression of an individual's value system. And what you're talking about is one of our sort of fundamental teachings at Conscious Economics, which is that there's multiple currencies within the new economy and that it's not just about money or wealth that is one currency it's an important currency it's part of the fabric of our society and our value exchange as a society but it's not the only currency and what i remember about meeting with you one of the very first times that i met you and i came to you to talk about a a project that i wanted to collaborate on and your first question was so much more related to the social impact of the project than it was about the actual you know, dollars and cents. Not that we didn't talk about that and you are a business person in the end of the day, but your your currency and your value system has been so much more about community, about creation, about all of these pieces and, and also that they are economically viable and all of the things that you need something to be to have sustaining, you know, longevity within what is our society and our and our culture and our economy. Um, so that is fascinating and I think really interesting advice. And for those that are listening to really start to reflect on their own value system and what currencies are important to them. Because when I watch you again, you are exactly practicing as you preach. You are always considerate of multiple currencies when you're going into a project. And I've noticed that. So that's really interesting and cool to hear you articulate. But I will say this because, you know, because of the work I do and the way I still try to think there is a balance to that. And, and, and so I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I may be able to have a perspective on that and have maybe a wider range of what that value system can mean. I, I really like the way you put that, but I also recognize too, that at times that system or that, that, that criteria, if you will, may not actually be similar to someone else's mm-hmm. that I might be working with or collaborating with. And that's something that I really need to also re- recognize in all of this. Because when, when we talk about it this way, too, when we talk about what the new economy can mean and, and, and what that return can mean and the value within that and the value proposition with all that, we also have to really recognize, too, that It's amazing that we can speak on this level, but some people, because of their experience, may not agree. Mm -hmm. They, they, They may be very, very focused on what the bottom line was for dollars and cents, Mm -hmm. expenses, you know, versus income. And that's very, very reasonable. And I mention that because what I'm trying to work on is also not only just having a broader perspective on what is possible within the notion of economics but also a broader perspective of what other people are thinking on that too. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I do feel that there have been times where, you know, things have also gone a little bit awry 
when that vocabulary is not established up front mm-hmm. or that the the return that other people were hoping to get in their lives, which is very, very valid and very fair, yeah. might not be as abstract as some of the return yeah. that I, I look for as well. You know? So would that, that That's be, something I'm trying to be much more conscious of as well. So would that be maybe a piece of advice to people that are going to collaborate that they actually name, you know, the the value system or the currencies with which they expect to reap a return and and maybe there's some kind of agreement on that before entering into partnerships? I, I absolutely believe so. Like, you know, entering into especially around create really anything and everything is creative. How you go about doing almost anything, especially collaboratively, means you have to be creative, you have to be strategic, you have to be aware, you have to be considerate. But in some ways, especially around things that are really subjective, you know, music and film and narrative things, there can be a great amount of heartbreak that happens because what someone wants out of it, you know, I've produced a lot of films with some really amazing, talented people. And what they were trying to get out of the film versus what maybe the actors were trying to get out of the film versus the writer versus the studio, it, it, it can you don't really realize it till the end and someone goes, wait a second, that's not the film I made or that's not the film I, or the song I, I sung or the, the concert I wanted to put on or what have you. And I mention that because it is extremely intimate, you know, and, and in any intimate relationship that we would get into, if we were talking about relationship advice between, you know, two people, you'd say, look, you really got to lay out what you're hoping for and after but we often don't do that in cl- in working creative collaborative situations and i think that is very very necessary to have because you can be saying many different things and and and, and i yeah i think that that would be something because that's something i'm learning and it feels almost a bit late to be learning it but i'm really actively trying to to do so The Conscious Economics Podcast is brought to you by CPP Investments, manager of the Canada Pension Plan Fund. Canadians can be confident in the fund's sustainability. CPP Investments has earned more than $300 billion in the last 10 years and has more than $500 billion invested around the world. The Canada Pension Plan is set to provide a retirement income foundation for generations to come. To learn more, visit cppinvestments.com. I think that it's really good advice. And I, again, I take it back to like, it's great conscious economy advice because it's not just about contractually either what is on paper. It's about the emotional exchange and that expectation. When you enter into anything, I really believe you're creating something that is energetically merged. Like you are creating an entity, whether it's a product or it's a piece of music or it's a film, you're coming together with multiple people and all of you are infusing an energy into something that now exists on its own. It has its own, you know, it has its own field and it has its own impact. And it's interesting that in a romantic setting, we would obviously have some of these conversations and want to understand, well, for the most part, um, would want to understand what we were kind of getting into on not just a bricks and mortar, but also on a, you know, emotional and spiritual and conscious level, what we were entering into. And I think that's kind of what you're saying with business or specifically in the creative industries that we have to have this approach. And I think this is a really 
really beautiful piece of wisdom that you've just shared. And it sounds like one that it, it's been hard to learn because, you know, we've all made our mistakes. That's that's how we learn the biggest lessons of our life for sure. And for me, there's certain ones that I just keep wanting to learn for some reason <laughs> over and over and over again. But, you know, maybe that's that's sort of it. It's like we come in with a particular, our soul like wants to figure something out. And this sounds like you know, you've got some of it figured out. I want to segue over to another pretty big topic um, and one that I'm so interested to to get your insight on, and that is technology and, and humanity and the intersection of the two. And again, mm. as someone who I would describe as a technologist, like you're someone who's even early on before, you know, the wave of influence of technology had really hit its peak, you were an early adopter and and pioneer in using digital and tech. And, you know, you just have that side of you that is infused into everything that you do. And a lot of times people don't think of like, you know, maybe now they do more so the intersection of, you know, music and creativity and technology, but you've been like early on really at that intersection. And now I'm watching our world transform rapidly. You know, we're, you know, digital currencies and, you know, we're talking about algorithms knowing us better than we know ourselves. And, you know, we both have young children that are extremely technologically savvy and have grown up with these devices, like truly in their hands before they could even speak. And so mm -hmm. there's, there's a cool thing to that. And, I'm certainly not a dystopian, like I'm all for technology and advancing ourselves, but there seems like there's been a progress on the technological side that hasn't matched a uh, progress on the humanity side. Like we're evolving mm. technologically faster than we are evolving our own emotional and physical heart-based technology. And so it creates this really interesting conundrum. And I was wondering if you are, you know, noticing that and 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 how you're feeling about these times that we're in and, and what you might offer as, you know, not a solution, but what is your advice or how do you how do you drink in this conundrum and how does it it, it express itself in your work? Oh, so it's really such a good question. The right now where I'm sitting just in this one workspace that I have, there is just huge amounts of technology from the last five, six decades, like old synthesizers, even earlier, like there's acoustic guitars, there's synthesizers, there's camera equipment, there's film equipment. It's just sort of lying around. So I, 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 there's a reel-to-reel -reel that we found in the garbage downstairs. Like I clearly like stuff and I clearly like technology. And I, and I think I also really like the design and the sort of rationale behind stuff technology you know and especially things that help capture or help form new processes form new abilities to reach goals so i i love tech i love humanity more and i did not know that until quite maybe you know i i'd like to say i didn't know that until the birth of our first child that's that would be a lie i think i didn't know that then i think you know, I, I think I looked at technology and the way technology was working as just a sheer pure benefit. And and I think, again, this goes back to vocabulary. I think technology, like many ideals and ideas, 
and constructs and concepts that we as humans have are really, really like, it's a really beautiful thing. And I don't, in no way am I trying to get political or anything, but I think like at the heart of it, like, you know, communism or socialism or a bunch of isms, like in terms of like, oh, we just want to, you know, we want everyone to feel, you know, have equal share and all that at the heart of it, like in the, in the heart of organized religion and spirituality, there is the humanity that that's those concepts and constructs are trying to serve is actually really incredible philosophically and they're truly incredible and just like technology i think philosophically some people describe it as a new religion i think it's just it is we've always been technologists human beings we have that's why we endeavor to keep inventing and creating and you know and and why we are where we are but i think technology as a construct and as and, and without understanding again the humanity within it and how it's supposed to serve humanity like any other notion becomes a hurdle at best at best it becomes a hurdle a hurdle because there's always something new you're not sure how to engage you know there it, it creates generational gaps or even inter, like even half or quarter generation gaps like you know like oh do you know how to use this phone or i don't know how to get on my email or who, how do you use TikTok or how do you post like there's all of these re- weird random things that you can sort of tell like how old someone is based on how good they are generally speaking yeah. on you know social media or using a, a, an iPhone or you know what have you or a, a new DSLR camera or something but what is not talked about is is if we are losing ourselves behind the technology and you can't really have a conversation about technology in this era, like around 2020, 21, 22, et cetera, in a little, you know, even earlier and a little bit more without it very much becoming a conversation around social media, which of course is technology based. It's the new town square, but yeah. it, it is all, there's so many things around that, that this is not, people think these are just sort of, you know, Facebook and, 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 you know, TikTok and Twitter and such. They think they're, they're just kind of like these amplifiers for themselves or here's a little platform or a stage or whatever you want to call it but ultimately they don't realize that there's a whole thing happening in the background too now we don't need to get into whether that's a good thing bad thing like all that data mining and Mm. and all of that and what that's being used for but we're being kind of sold a lie here like oh you can have thirty thousand followers and you can say anything you want you can have three million followers and say what you want and technology like any other human construct, politics, education, medicine, any of these things without some real guidance and repercussions if you go against that guidance, Mm. I think is extraordinarily dangerous. And so when you have the ability to have the kind of social media and amplification and ability to have all these voices, but no one is actually talking, Mm -hmm. they're just putting it out there. And if you disagree, it's very binary, which is interesting because technology is also very binary, right? It's it's all zeros and ones. And, you know, I'm quite infatuated with zeros and ones. And I even named one company I have sort of around zeros and ones, but the gray areas are getting lost. And so when you look at that and you look at the ability to create the most amazing things that humans have ever seen, Mm -hmm. you know, in film and television and documentary and such, but you can use that same technology to put your face or my face you know, in compromising positions, like, you know, with deep faking and mm-hmm. such, you're just like, wow. And there is no, no one's being fully really reprimanded for this. Like, like 
there is a universal truth. I really believe this. There's mm-hmm. a universal truth out there that people know if something is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really, like, you know, there's some gray things around what you might feel on, on certain subjects, but just unto yourself, you know if something is right or wrong. And so much of the technology has been used for the wrong. Now, we are not, of course, that's just such a generalization and, and it's an easy target because of social media and things like this. But having said that, when you look at the, like the ability that we have now to learn and communicate and to go through something like COVID and still to have been connected to connected to our loved ones, connected to work. Maybe someone will look back and go, my God, why didn't they just like everyone shut down and go and farm for those three years, you know, that would have been way better, but everyone went on zoom meetings instead. But I think this, like the technology for us to be able to collaborate, to be able to actually speak to each other when we need to gain information, glean information is truly incredible. But then on the other side, the disinformation, all of that. Mm-hmm. But even let's, let's go even a little bit more directly because you mentioned kids. The biggest thing I fear for my children, you know, we, obviously we have economic fears and you worry about them getting their heart broken and safety and all of those things. But the thing I fear, if I can put that stuff away, is my kids have so seldom needed to wait for anything. Mm-hmm. I used to have to wait for a certain day and a certain time for a show that I like to come on yeah, or a song to come on a radio. And I would like, oh, it's the right, you know, or you come home after school and watch much music. And then a video came on and you learned about new things and the VJs would tell you. There was this idea that we were discovering things kind of en masse. And there was, you know, it used to be a big deal when a Star Wars film came out or something, you know, and like that was like sure. anything ever, anyone talked about. And now you have 10,000 new songs being released every week, good yeah. ones. Mm-hmm. You have more films and content and shows being released than you've ever had. And there's no waiting. There's no patience required. Mm-hmm. There's no anticipation. And I think patience and anticipation mixed with desire, somewhere in there equals hope. Yeah. Like you hope to see something. You hope to hear something. You hope for a better thing. And if we don't understand how to access patience and a little bit of yearning or longing, mm-hmm. then we're not necessarily going to be able to deal with conflict. No, you're, you're so right. And all of those things too, that, you know, yearning and that patience, it also leads to appreciation. Like that yes. you actually appreciate yes. the thing. So the, we've become the, thing, so, the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've been, be, yeah. we've become so <laughs> inundated of like, oh, what's the next thing? Like even just, and again, like I'm mindful of our ages and, and that we may sound a particular way, but when I look at TikTok and it's like, it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter, the attention span and, and like, it takes more and more and more to get somebody excited. And these are real things. Like these are real things that happen with the brain, the dopamine hits and how we get addicted to dopamine hits. And then how, you know, there's less and less of it that comes when we're just becoming numb to the excitement of being constantly excited. And all of these things are actually having a real impact on our brains. And so when I think of really like the true human technologists, I think of, you know, our indigenous, you know, brothers and sisters who were always future 
thinkers and future holders, despite what anyone may, you know, try and say. And and there was this understanding of human technology and planetary technology and the integration between earth and animals and, and understanding that every single time we create one system that brings an efficiency, we lose something else. And so what we have to do is not stop being technologically, you know, advanced or advancing, but how do we cultivate discipline? How do we cultivate patience? How do we still not lose those traits in this world? And I think that's the thing that we haven't done such a great job at. We've been so excited by the idea of creating these groundbreaking technologies that we're not asking the why always, or we're asking just a portion of it. And that's why I really believe, and this is part of the philosophy at Conscious Economics, is that like we need those that are really adapt and experienced in the emotional side. So I think of artists being at the table with the technologists, being at the table with the, you know, who are the ones that are able to cultivate these different aspects of self and society and be co-creating as opposed to creating in these silos where you get someone who's super into ones and zeros and may go down that rabbit hole, but then is missing this whole other piece. And again, as, as I look at you, someone who occupies both spaces then it's up to some of these leaders of today, like yourself, who could speak both languages to articulate just how important that is. And I know that seems strange, but I do feel like some of us have been operating within these interplay of spaces for long enough that we have developed a voice and a credibility just enough to actually weave together pieces that don't seem to fit. And that to me is the conscious economy. Mm-hmm. So this is a big, this is your moment. <laughs> this is why you <laughs> well, are is, here. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, let me ask you a question. Okay. Do you think humans are willing to be bored again? One hundred percent. Right, because that's that's what this is, especially with the way tech is being pushed and consumer tech and the various platforms and and everything being served to us on demand as we need, as we think we need. It's taking our away our ability to just be bored, and boredom breeds thoughts, and thoughts breed creativity, and creativity changes the world. And if we are not allowing ourselves to be bored if our kids don't embrace having nothing to do there's never nothing to do i i do fear what that means so yeah we we, we really do have to push this it's funny you know my my now 10 year old when he was like four or five would say to me you know in his perfect little voice at the time gee daddy the days go by so quickly and i th- and i was like I was like floored by that thought. I was actually a little heartbroken by that. Like, how can you be five years old, six years old, and feel that time is going by so quickly mm-hmm. at your age? You know, I remember thinking days went on forever. Forever. It was <laughs> so know? long. And summer was like, oh, it was years. like two years. Yeah. Right. And now it's because we're just so, we're never bored. There's always something taking us to somewhere else. But as everyone knows, you know, there's such incredible entertainment and such incredible information, learning tools out there. But there are so many things that are just simply taking our time. You know, like the tools that are built into an iPad, 
that I can, if I, if I got a new iPad and I allowed myself to spend a hundred dollars on apps, the apps that I could get to make music or, or, or edit or, but let's stay with music that I could make music with creatively. I could not have spent 20 years ago, $2 million and had anything remotely like that. Right. Like it's, it's incredible. And so we have these pads with the most incredible tools for drawing and photography and animation, music, all these things. And yet when we give them to our kids, they want to play Roblox, mm-hmm. you know, and, and fair enough, but we also have to like, we have to ensure that there is a healthy respect of the technology in that these are tools. They are not entertainment devices. Tools can help provide entertainment tools can provide a whole bunch of things. But at the end of the day, you are in control because I do fear that we have a generation of young people who are really just happier watching someone else do something than Mm -hmm. to actually do it themselves. Well, this is part of what is extremely concerning. And it, it is something that I think we have to think about. And the problem is, and this comes back into the pace of our lives and economy and the way that we work and how distracted we really all are. Like I was just in Europe last week and I was with my 11 year old and I was looking around and for those three days, you know, phones were left back at the Airbnb and we were out seeing the sites, talking, looking at history And it was like some of the besties we've ever spent. And (laughs) when I sort of came back and I looked at everyone, it was like everyone's on their phone, including the parents watching your kid play in the park. You're on the phone. And it's like, we're all in this. It's not just the young people. Like we're all in this and we're witnessing it. And we know something isn't quite right about it, but who's willing to do something about it. And it's interesting because when you ask the question, you said, are we, are humans willing to be bored again? And I thought you said, are humans willing to be born again? And <laughs> with all the, and I said, yes, because with, and all the crazy evangelical crap aside that I grew up with, with my grandma and like born again and Jimmy Swaggart or whatever, I, I, I really want to think about this idea that in order for us to evolve and change anytime anyone in in their life has had to make a deep change it comes out of a, a almost like a hurt or a friction and it is a born again it's like it's like becoming born again to i want to live this way i want this and i think we are actually dying to, for that we are dying mm. for something new within this and it's not this new, new, new devices. It's something new within ourselves. And I think there's room for the devices, but I think we just haven't evolved as quickly as what that is. And we're not asking all the right questions and we're too tired and overburdened to creatively think about what we want to do about it. And so it's just a really interesting, a really interesting place to be. And I think for both of us and for all of our listeners, like we're all a part of creating what is going to be the solution to this and to cultivate some of these skills within ourselves and the best creative, you know, we're both only children. So yeah, like I played with the little yellow piece of, it was like a little yellow thing on a cigarette pack that you could like take off my mom's cigarette pack. Like I named that thing and like I had hours of fun. (laughs) 
<laughs> like having it float out the window and, you know, it, it's like you create and as an, you know, adult, yes, I'm not creating these kinds of games, but my, some of my best, most innovative ideas are coming in moments of silence, reflection and nature, you know, in these spaces. And if we don't give ourselves that time, we won't from a higher consciousness, come up with the solutions. We'll just be marred in the wave of what we're all in, the soup that we find ourselves floating in. So really interesting. So I want to just flip to quickly to kind of wrap up, I want to ask you some, it's not rapid fire, but it's certainly just a little bit more shorter answer to a few questions just so we can kind of wrap and and think about some of these incredible things that you've got us thinking about here. One is what is your best piece of advice for creatives that are listening to this right now? What's your best piece of advice that you've learned, that you've cultivated, that you'd like to share today? That's kind of hard and, and weird, but good luck. <laughs> uh, there's two. One, I feel is something that I've had an opportunity to do. And one, I think, I'm not sure if I'd heard it somewhere before, but I, I, I think about it all the time. The first thing is, whatever you do already, creatively, however you are creative, and everyone is, you can apply that to almost anything. So if you are creative in the way you, you know, do your day job, like whatever that might be, even, you know, if you're a cashier at, at, at a grocery store, or, you know, you're an investment banker, or you're, you're making movies or music or whatever it might be, there is creativity, there's engagement in all of, in, in every moment of your life, mm -hmm. uh, in your work life. You can transpose that into another path. I really believe that. I think how you have gone forward, how you've taken steps forward and maybe potentially excelled in your life, you can apply that to something else. Now, just because you apply that, you know, just because you've been an amazing creative carpenter doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be an amazing singer, but you can still be amazingly musical. People need to remember that if they've known how to achieve or to reach goals, or if they've known excellence in something, they can actually apply that to something else. And mm -hmm. that, that, that we're often siloed. Oh, you're, you're, you're the athlete. You're not mm -hmm. supposed to be the violinist. And, oh, you, you know, you're the, you're the rapper. You're not supposed to be, you know, the, the banker or what have you. Excellence is excellence. And I think how we can apply that, especially the creative notions within that, is something that I'm, I'm really committed to not only exploring more for myself, but trying to actually build some processes to share that with other people. The other thing that I'm, I've realized was never in my mind an option, but was clearly always there, and it's happened many times, is just don't be afraid of failure. Mm. And I'm, I, you know, I'm certainly not the first person to ever say that, but I really do believe that. Like, if you can go into it and really genuinely try. Mm. A long time ago on our website, like in the 90s, when we first started making websites, I had a little slogan for my company at the time, and it was, Art is not about the final product. Art is about the process of creating the final product. Again, I don't think that's a particularly new notion. It's about the journey. It's not about the destination, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But we really need to understand that like, there's real failure. You, know, mm -hmm. like, you don't want to be a surgeon and have failure, you know, for lack of a better example. But mm -hmm. when you're creating, when you're trying, when you're trying to write a story or a screenplay or a poem, Mm -hmm. or a chord structure, or what have you, a photograph, understand that it's okay if it sucks. Mm -hmm. The real 
failure is if you don't do it again, mm. if you don't try again, mm. if you don't have the bravery and the resilience to try again, then you really actually have killed something. You not being able to achieve everything out of the gate, or even after 10 years. I know people who wanted to be actors for 10 years and they just every six months they're going to give it up and it wasn't until like year 12 year 13 where suddenly just took shape Mm -hmm. and suddenly they're really doing it you go resilience pays off and then taking that and it's not everyone's going to be able to play you know like like play at a super bowl or perform on a broadway stage or what have you but you can take your commitment and that resilience going back to that first point and apply that to other things Mm -hmm. and be creative and be impactful in other things. You told me to keep this short and I clearly just did not. I love it though. And I love everything that you <laughs> said. And for us, that was short. <laughs> so oh God, it, it worked. Oh, um, I have two others. And so we'll increase I'll keep these ones short. shorter. So this one, just because like, you know, we got to, we got to throw it out there. Do you have a really really good piece of money advice? Something to do with money? Oh God. Well, okay. So the short advice that I, why I laughed was I was going to say, invest in things that are actually meaningful to you. And why I say that is a long time ago, because I needed equipment, I bought synthesizers and drum machines that people didn't want anymore. Mm-hmm. And then those things became vintage and they actually appreciated massively and they actually became a great investment. And we managed to finance a number of things in our lives because of these original investments. But along the way, I was also able to use these synthesizers and, and and drum machines and such. Now, most technology, as you know, just over time, it just becomes worth less and less and less. But there are certain things in the world that become worth more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And if we had like endless amounts of money, I would love to buy like a great violin uh, for my partner and, and allow, you know, and she could play it for the next 20 years and we pay a million dollars for it in 20 years from now, it's worth $2 million. Like mm-hmm. there, there's something interesting about investing in things that you can use and, 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 and have enjoyment with, and they appreciate over time, mm-hmm. which I think is also like real estate. 100%. Right? Yeah. The tangibles. The tangibles. But, but I also think too, like, you know, I'm not a stock person, but the people who have done well in stocks generally that I know, and I don't talk a lot about with a lot of, I don't have a lot of colleagues or close friends who are into stocks, but the ones who have invested in things that they actually use and love. Mm-hmm. They yeah. invested early on in Apple because they used Apple. Right. They, yeah. you know, like the weird example, but a real good one because Apple was really like 20 like something years ago, just over like 25 years ago. They were a terrible company. Yeah. But people yeah. still liked them and they brought out the iMac and the iPod. So they kind of, and they did very well by that. And I think there's sort of believing in what you're investing in, not simply because you got this tip that this large corporation or this you know, pharma or this cannabis or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, might do a thing. You really need to have, I think we really need to have more belief in the things that we are standing by economically. And that's a whole other conversation. I really like that. And I mean, it's, yeah, there, there's trends that are starting to go that way or so they appear like ESG and investing in, you know, investing for good, but I think that that's great advice. And my last, and this is probably going to be mind blowing to answer and I'm so putting you on the spot. Um, But if you could in your lifetime be a part of witnessing a creative collaboration between two great whoever's, maybe they're artists, musicians, or business people or whatever, who would you love to work with in a collaborative, like kooky creation? Oh, wow. 
I know that's so hard and you work with so many people and you have like 10 billion ideas in your mind all the time, but I would just like really love to know. Two of those people that I didn't realize it until I had met them. One was David Bowie. I was always, of course, interested in him and a fan, but I didn't really know a lot of his music. Oddly, it was just something I wasn't exposed to. And then I had an opportunity to spend an afternoon with him and interview him. And, and it really changed my life on a bunch of levels. And it would have been so incredible to have actually been able to collaborate with him on some level. That, that, would have, that was something I'd only realized long after, how much that day really changed me. Um, another person who I absolutely admire and, and also got a chance to know personally is, is an author named Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. who is one of my favorite writers of all time. And he's, a, for people who don't know, he's an incredible fantasy and fiction writer. But it's not just his writing. It's the way he is able to capture humanity, even in these fantastical settings. You still, they, the characters are still so real, grounded. You you feel that. And, and to be able to have that, but also to place that in these wide, crazy worlds that he comes up with that that would really be something the last thing i will say which would be really fun is i would love to work on something with like that really impacts kids and is just joyous and and specifically i think of like the group the wiggles like i think they are i've seen them perform i i know them uh, on a personal level now and to see that kind of joy just to be able to build something where there isn't like is this cool or not cool mm-hmm. is it is this entertaining and educating and fulfilling kids and people of all ages mm-hmm. the answer is 100 like i've never seen anything like that and to witness that and maybe to ever participate in something like that would be incredible i have like as soon as you said the wiggles i just started to feel a giggle like starting to form and i can feel the joy in you about thinking about that and imagine like <laughs> David Bowie, the Wiggles, <laughs> like this whole right, I mean, thing. right? Like, who knows, right? Anything's possible in the world of Byron Wong. And that's where we wrap. So <laughs> thank you so much, B. This has been unbelievable. What a journey we've had in the last hour. I've covered so many interesting topics and I just appreciate and value you so much always 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 forever and ever learn so much from you every single day so thank you for your time and i'll end off by telling everyone where they can find you and engage with some of your incredible organizations and i hope you have a really great rest of your day you too thank you so much for this it's really an honor thank Thank you. you And there you have it. What a wild ride that conversation really was. I learned things about Byron that I didn't know. And I've, you know, been a a friend of his for a number of years now. So that was prolific. That was special. My favorite part of the conversation was him sort of having the realization as we're having the conversation that what really influenced him to be this dabbler in all of these different mediums was really being a b-boy. And I think that that's just so special. And it's so interesting to see the roots of how we become who we become and how we, you know, develop into the business people and the innovators that we, that 
we are, you know, it's usually something that happens in our early years in childhood. It's these impressionable moments, you know, a piece of art, an incredible album, an experience of dance, uh, you know, a, a cultural moment that ends up shaping us so deeply. And I have many of those myself that I can think of. And it was actually really cool way back when my ex-husband's dad, so my my ex-father-in-law, who's an amazing person and we're all still very cool, um, he started this project where he would ask us to name our 20 most significant albums, so music albums that influenced our life. And then he would create a piece of art for us with all the album covers. And this was like such a difficult thing for me to do because it's not just about like things you love or what you thought was cool. It was like what actually influenced moments of your life. It doesn't mean that it was necessarily like the best thing ever, but something that was just so significant. And so it was so interesting to look at mine because my 20 albums were like all over the place. Like I had Led Zeppelin there, but then I also had the Spice Girls and it was like, what is going on? But, you know, I come back to this idea that each of us at our core essence, you know, we're all so unique. We've all walked different paths and Byron is just a true example of that. And for those of you that want to get in touch with him, perhaps you want to collaborate with him and his organization. Um, I think he's very open to, to people reaching out. So go to his website. If you just you know, Google his name, it'll come up. He's not the most active on social media, personally, that is, because he just has so much going on. But you can definitely find him easily. Google his name. We'll link um, his organization in the show notes. And thank you to all for continuing to tune into the Conscious Economics Podcast. We continue to try and really bring you into the philosophy of the conscious economy through these conversations. So I hope that they're serving their purpose. And we look forward to to hearing from you. So if you can, please rate, review, share, give us your comments below on your thoughts about the show. And we will see you again in two weeks, keeping it real, new economy style, taking our time. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you so, so soon again. Bye for now.